Let Tend Dental make your dream smile a reality. We offer a variety of top-rated treatments, including Invisalign aligners. And for a limited time, Tend is offering $750 off orthodontic treatments. Offer valid through January 31st, so don't wait. Visit hellotend.com slash sale. That's hellotend.com slash sale. And book your free consult today. Passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Blog Talk Radio. Hi, I'm Ryan Tannehill, quarterback for the Miami Dolphins, and I represent the Finsider with the PH. Good evening, good evening, everyone. Uh, welcome to another episode of Finsider Radio. My name is Keith. I'll be your host until 9 p.m., 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time. I got a lot to get to tonight, so we'll make the introductions uh, short and sweet. As always, I got my, my co-host, Duke. What's up? Uh, not much, Matt. Lewis, what's up? Not much, guys. Ah, uh, good. So... We're a little bit late in the game in terms of doing a radio show, so I'm not going to sit and talk about the the stuff that's transpired in the past week as if it it took place within the past 24 hours, but it's still something we can discuss and we can uh, sort of delve into a couple of things that uh, uh, are going to result from these uh, decisions. Of course, last Saturday, the Dolphins made the first uh, uh, coach hiring of the uh, the season, or I think it was the first. Uh, so they bring in Adam Gaze, uh, the hot name on the market, the guy that a lot of teams were targeting. Uh, and if you had listened to the show last week, we had seen that rumor that day that Gaze was in discussions with the Philadelphia Eagles. Doesn't happen that way. He ends up, uh, he takes the Dolphins job. It's announced on Saturday. And all of a sudden we're, uh, we're back in it with a, uh, people are going to say an inexperienced head coach, uh, in, but the thing is, this guy's been in the league a long time. It really had to work his way up. Hasn't been given really anything. Has worked for everything. And now he's in a position where he gets to work with Ryan Tannehill. His specialty is working with quarterbacks. You also heard, it, heard that with Joe Philbin, but I actually think it's the case this time around. So the thing that has taken place somewhat, well, within the, the past 48 hours, is after all this talk that Vance Joseph was going to go with Hugh Jackson, uh, Hugh Jackson was expected to go to San Francisco, uh, turns out that he takes the Cleveland job before he even interviews with the New York Giants, which was a little bit of a surprise to a lot of people. Uh, and then Vance Joseph 
becomes the Dolphins' defensive coordinator. So that original thought when Gates took the job on Saturday actually proves true. So Vance Joseph is your new defensive coordinator, and all of a sudden you got people talking about, well, our previous defensive coordinator, not interim, but previous guy, was uh, the Cincinnati Bengals defensive backs coach, just like Vance Joseph was the Cincinnati Bengals defensive backs coach. Again, just like Gase uh, is a far different candidate than Philbin, I think Vance Joseph is a far different candidate from Kevin Coyle in a lot of ways. Number one is the fact that it sounds like he has an outstanding rapport with his players. Uh, The Bengals' defense had nothing but nice things to say about him, whereas the Dolphins' defense didn't really have many nice things to say about Kevin Coyle on his way out. Talked about his uh, lumbering, overly complex scheme, inability to relate to his players. He pissed off and Dom can sue at some point. So, I mean, lo and behold, here we are. Uh, the Dolphins fill up the, the majority of their uh, uh, coaching cabinet pretty quickly. And all of a sudden, you're looking at all these coaching jobs that uh, I just mentioned that Hugh Jackson is now with the New York Giants, and then some people were surprised by this. I always suspected this was this was waiting in the wings. Chip Kelly today becomes the the head coach in San Francisco. So some things falling where we expected them, some things a little bit of a wild card, and then the Giants ended up promoting offensive coordinator Ben McAdoo to head coach, and then I don't know why, maybe they're just in a charity or something, they go ahead and they bring on Joe Philbin, and they're not really sure his position yet. Nobody knows what his position will be. Quality control, bedtime check. It doesn't really matter. I, they were tossing around the title of offensive coordinator for him. We'll see what, what happens there. So anyway, it's been a whirlwind week for the Dolphins, but a, a great week, especially this is something they needed when you consider the way the 2015 season went for them, uh, firing the coach, not even midway through, uh, Dan Campbell, uh, we'll get to him in a second. Uh, for, a, for a guy with no head coaching experience, you, your tight ends coach, you, you put him in that position. I thought he did an admirable job. I wouldn't call it a good job, but I also have my expectations temp- tempered here. I didn't expect him to come in and completely tear it up like, you know, Belichick. I didn't expect him to absolutely turn everything around for this team because, frankly, a lot needs to be fixed, a lot needs to be addressed, and there needs to be a, a common denominator here between the coaching staff and the players, and I felt like that was never the case with Joe Philbin, uh, his lackeys, I'll call them lackeys because I, I didn't care for any of those guys, and they, they really set this team, in my opinion, set this team back considerably. So we'll go ahead and we'll just get to the preliminary stuff. You can just kind of give me a, a hot take on this if you want. I think that's the call now. Uh, your initial reaction to the Adam Case hiring Duke? Uh, I mean, I, I'm glad they got the guy that they targeted. They didn't have to uh, interview seven different people. Um, and so, you know, I, I'm going to – I'm going to say kind of wait and see stage. I'm going to wait and see what it's like on the field. Um, see how it comes together in uh, training camp and things like that. But, uh, I mean, I, I, I'm glad for the guy. He seems like he knows what he's doing. And that was my biggest thing. Like, you know, we had Sperano, who didn't really know what he was doing. And we had Philbin, he definitely didn't know what he was doing. And so this guy seems to know a thing or two about about football. So hopefully he will uh, – hopefully he'll work out. 
Lewis, you're a huge action guy. Uh, we talked about this on your show uh, last night, but or actually, I think that was two nights ago. But um, are you are you coming around? I mean, I wouldn't say coming around to the higher. Is it something? Do you feel better about it? Are you starting to think that this is going to work? Where are you at? I mean, I never had a problem with the hiring to begin with. Yes, I would have preferred Hugh Jackson because I think he has more of a reputation for getting the best out of people who are not necessarily all that great, which fits the Dolphins to a T. And now he's gonna he's gonna put that uh, put that experience to the absolute limit to uh, when he goes to uh, trying to fix the Cleveland Browns. I mean, that in and of itself is an, the ultimate challenge for someone like him. But for Adam Gase, I mean, I if I would have preferred somebody with experience. Yes, I would have preferred somebody I I knew for a fact had been a head coach before, somebody who uh, wouldn't there wouldn't be a question as to whether or not well can he handle the rigors of being a head an NFL head coach. Adam Gase, we don't know that yet. He's been an, uh, he's been a quarterbacks coach, he's been an offensive coordinator and now he's making the uh the logical next step to head coach. Everybody's wanted him. It seems like the only people who didn't want him were actually Dolphins fans and people covering the Dolphins. So uh, I can't say that I was against the pick to begin with. All I can say is that if the only reason he's here is to quote-unquote fix Tannehill, then I say they made the hire for the wrong reasons. We don't need somebody to come in and fix Tannehill. We just need somebody to bring come in and take what talent there is and get the best out of it. We don't need somebody who's whose expertise is meant to fix something that isn't necessarily broken. It's just somebody who needs to have his talents utilized properly. And I don't, and hopefully Gase is somebody who everybody who's talked about him has called him like Peyton Manning has called him the master. Oh, was it Peyton who said this? Somebody called him the master of innovation. That's already a plus over Joe Philbin who didn't innovate anything. All he did was just keep doing the same stuff over and over again. But, if he can innovate a way to get these Dolphins to winning, then, I mean, good for him. I would have preferred an experienced head coach, but everybody's got to start somewhere, I guess. I think the uh, the Tannehill thing, fixing him, I think it's, it's weird to say fix. I think uh, finished development might be, uh, might be a more accurate description of what Adam Gase can do with this guy. Because I don't think Tannehill's broken. It's a miracle he's not broken physically and mentally. But I think there are good things there, regardless of what some people in the South Florida media will tell you. There are good things to be found in Ryan Tannehill's game. The guy doesn't completely suck. I mean, he's not he's not a tackling dummy out there who occasionally throws a pass or two. And, I mean, you've, you've got this sort of anti-Tannehill click. And, I mean, if you think Ryan Tannehill sucks, I don't care. Fine. If you think that he was a wasted draft pick and, he, I mean, he can't be developed, that's your opinion. I think you're wrong, but that's okay. I mean, as fans, we're, we're entitled to feel the way we do about the players on the team. But if you're going to present your argument, it, I said this on Twitter today, if you're going to present your argument it, the way an eight-year-old would, then I don't really respect it. And you see that from people in the media. You see that from like, Dolphins. Dolphins Twitter is such a, such a dumpster fire sometimes when it comes to opinions out there. And I had a couple of friends. Of course, all my friends are Bears fans, uh, being where I live. And when I told them, because we all watch the games on Saturday, 
And when I mentioned, they asked me what if I was excited about Gase, and I was like, oh, yeah, of course. And they're like, how, how do Dolphins fans feel about it? And I was like, well, a lot of them hate it. And they were just flabbergasted. They're like, why? Why on earth would anyone hate the, the hiring of Adam Gase after what he's done? And I was like, well, I don't know. It's, it's, a, jaded, it's a jaded crew. Uh, I, said that, I think I tweeted this out last Saturday that if, you know, if Twitter had been around in, in 1970, and, you know, the, the Dolphins bring on Don Shula and then they're accused of tampering and it costs them a first-round pick. Dolphins fans would have hated Don Shula because he cost them a first-round pick and he's a bum. They would have blamed him. Like, I can't believe we just brought in the guy responsible for losing his ass in the Super Bowl and uh, necessitating the need for a, an AFL-NFL merger. That's the kind of stuff you would have seen from Dolphins Twitter had it been around 45 years ago. I truly believe that, 46 years ago now. And that's, I mean, that's indicative of the fact that these people love this team and they've, they've just grown tired of the hard times that are often associated with being a Dolphins fan. Not having a playoff win since January 2001 is, I mean, that, that's, that's tough to take. So it might have been, I think that game was on New Year's Eve now that I think about it. I, and no, it was New Year's Day. Nah. I forget. 2000 season, though. I remember where I was. I just remember, don't remember the exact date. Um, so it's awesome that these people love this team. It's not awesome that they can't they can't be presented with anything nice without attempting to take a dump on it, which happens often. And I'm not saying that Adam Gase is a wizard. You know, there's a there's a chance he comes in and it doesn't work out. And if that happens, all right, these people will be screaming from everywhere, talking about how they knew it and they were right. And, you know, let them have their time. But the thing is, is uh, this hire felt meaningful to me, whereas the Philbin hire did not feel meaningful. It felt like filling a, a gap. The Dolphins were late in the hiring process in 2012 when that happened. They had whiffed on their, well, uh, they were told no by their, their top target, which is Jeff Fisher. And, I mean, at that point, they were choosing between Mike McCoy. It was a guy in a lot of, had a lot of similarities to Gase in terms of his ability to get the most out of the, the quarterback he's working with. And you can't deny that Philip Rivers has been excellent with Mike McCoy there. I mean, everything else, though, I mean, their offensive line is in shambles. Kind of sounds familiar in some regards. So I respect Dolphins' Twitter, but... Seriously, you people need to get a hold of yourselves, and you need to stop hanging on the every word of certain people in the media. And that's um, actually a, a another thing before we get into some other topics, and we've got another caller I want to bring on. Um, if you demand so much, if you demand better from your team, you should demand better from the people who cover the team too. And I give Armando a lot of credit with upping his game. Because I mean, I've, I mean, I've always thought that he was a, a capable quality writer, and then sometimes he kind of gets sucked into the just writing about a bunch of junk nonsense. And I mean, it's easy to do with this team, but he's taken the high road a lot as a player, for reasons we don't really need to get into because we discussed them at length anyway. Uh, I don't really have a problem with Adam Beasley. I thought it was kind of lame when he suggested that Ryan Tannehill was a coach killer, but I understand when 
when your your coaches are getting fired, your offensive coordinator replaced. Mike Sherman uh, technically fired twice uh, uh, during his watch over uh, Ryan Tannehill. So, yeah, if you want to throw that out there, I think that's extremely lame, but all right. And then uh, Abramson's cool. So there are some good writers out there. But demand better of your writers. Don't take in this this uh, you know, this tire fire routine that comes out where it's just uh, when it, I read one take and it's from Omar that he said uh, Devontae Parker's uh, presence is necessary because Ryan Tannehill's uh, accuracy isn't exactly stellar. And hello, you know, hello lack of objectivity at that point. There's just so many ways that you could go ahead and try to put that in, in a way where you're observing the game, not like you have some sort of bizarre agenda behind it. But all that's to say, uh, demand more of the the people who um, who cover this team. And I think there are some really good young writers out there, but they're not a part of the the media quote unquote. You see them on site. They're on like they're associated with like Finn Maniacs. Uh, I mean, I'll even pimp this site. I mean, SB Na- or yeah, SB Nation has some quality young writers, but considered a fan site. So I mean, I don't think these guys are credentialed. That's I saw that come up this week. So I think there's a lot of capable people out there willing to write ob- objectively, fairly, but passionately about the Dolphins, and I don't really see that in the media. So I mean, that's too bad. I think the team deserves better. I think this entire off season or season entirely, like you said, I think I think Armando was was one of those guys that people kind of just kind of shrugged at whenever he would write something, and he has. I think the Herald, especially, uh, but or in general, I mean, but uh, Armando especially has kind of set himself apart from everyone else. Uh, the Palm Beach Post crew. They're good, but they're just kind of there. I don't think they necessarily stand out like Armando has. And the Sun Sentinel has done the exact opposite. Uh, you know, everyone wants to talk about Ryan Tannehill regressing. That entire unit has regressed. I mean, seriously, if you see anything from them posted, it's almost like, why do I want to waste my time doing this? Why would I read this? And, I mean, Barry Jackson's a little different because he's more kind of a news guy. He just throws out the takes or the or the... The, the break, not, I guess, so to speak. He doesn't necessarily write opinion, but, I mean, it, it has just gone, you know, it was kind of all jumbled up. I remember when I first joined the side, it was kind of, you know, everybody was all jumbled up. And from then until now, it's like certain guys have risen to the top and the others have just dropped to the bottom. And it's to the point now that I think the Sun Sentinel guys, it, it's, I think they just throw stuff at the wall to see what sticks and they don't even care anymore. I mean, they're 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 like what Randy McMichael said the other day about some players. They're just they're going collecting checking one home. They're not they're not putting their heart and soul into it. And that's that, that, yeah. that's the entire crew. That's not just Omar or anyone in particular. That's just the entire that the website has gotten worse. The material has gotten worse. So you know, it's tough. You know, and I mean, this is I mean, we all love this team. I've been a fan of this team since I was probably four years old, so 1988. And, I mean, it's just, I mean, it gets into your blood. 
But at the same time, I mean, it, you get to a point where you just think, like, why do I put myself through it? I mean, like, you're always going to come back. I mean, you're not going elsewhere. You're not going to Los Angeles like the Rams. You know, we'll get into that, too. Because I, I actually, i got to say, I feel pretty bad for Rams fans right now. I mean, the St. Louis, not a great sports city, unless you're talking about the Cardinals. I know because I've been there uh, several times, actually. And if you go to St. Louis, uh, Bush Stadium, where the Cardinals play, is the nicest sports facility you will ever see in your life in terms of just its condition and everything. I would eat off the sidewalks of that place. It's that nice. It's it's insane. The rest of and it's on a, all of the sports facilities are essentially on the same strip in downtown St. Louis and like where they play hockey. Uh, that place is pretty much a dump. They play at Scott Trade. That place isn't very nice. And Edward Jones Dome, which is uh, is a couple streets over, that place isn't very nice either. So uh, St. Louis has always been about the Cardinals first, everyone else uh, last pretty much. And I also mentioned the other night that I, I'm fairly certain that since 1976, St. Louis has received money from the NBA every year, and a lot of money too. So even though they've been a three-sport city and now they're a two-sport city, that's been make, making money like a four-sport city. So it shouldn't be as dilapidated as everyone makes it out to be. And I apologize to the person who's on hold. Uh, I'm actually having a problem with the system right now. As soon as it's up, I'll, I'll bring you on. So anyway, uh, I don't want to get too off topic because, I mean, we have a lot of good things to talk about here. So anyway, so Vance Joseph comes in, another defensive backs coach from Cincinnati, but a lot of great reviews coming in on Vance Joseph. Uh, you saw that what he was able to do in Cincinnati, especially in that secondary, I think they gave up, what, the, the fourth least, was it, where they ranked fourth overall in um, in touchdowns surrendered in the secondary. Meanwhile, we were, like, near the bottom, I think. And if you look at Cincinnati's secondary, they have good players in there, but it's not like they have knockout unbelievable superstars. I mean, Leon Hall is a good corner. I like him when he's at Michigan. He's had a good career. Trey Kirkpatrick has grown. Uh, I, I, he was expected to do great things with coming out of Alabama. He's got the that typical uh, build that you're looking for physical corners or for a physical corner. And they've got like guys like Georgie Loka in there, Reggie Nelson, who's actually had a pretty decent career after it, it looked like it was going to spell out with the Jaguars early on. But they don't have you know, elite caliber players, in my opinion, in Cincinnati secondary, and they've gotten it done. And that's a mix of the fact that they've got some really good players up front. they got Geno Atkins, Michael Johnson, uh, Carlos Dunlap, who is another guy who's had a really good career in Cincinnati. And their linebackers play well, too. So you're hoping, if you're a Dolphins fan and you hear that, you think, well, that's fantastic because the team is going to have some bowls up front, but the linebacker core essentially needs to get rebuilt with the, with the exception of, you know, Neville Hewitt and uh, um, Jelani Jenkins. And then in the secondary, I mean, you still like you still like Grimes there, even though, um, you know, he's not a spring chicken. And you got Rashad Jones, who uh, is unquestionably the, the captain back there. So if you bring in Vance Joseph, you're hoping to stock up the linebacker and defensive back personnel this offseason and I expect the Dolphins will do as much or as much as they can. What did you think of the Vance Joseph hiring, Lewis? I'm sorry? What did you think of the Vance Joseph hiring? 
when it became official I mean, and it wasn't a, it wasn't just a, a rumor. Um well, I mean I don't know much about Vance Joseph other than he's a secondary coach for the Bengals. But hearing what you guys have said and hearing what others have said about this guy, he's apparently very much he was very much coveted around the league. Hugh Jackson seemed like he would have he would have uh, wanted to bring Joseph with him wherever he went, which now would have been Cleveland, we know. So the fact that Gase was able to get his guy, that shows that people seem to think highly of Adam Gase, which is a good thing. What Joseph is able to do, he's had like eight years in a 3-4. He's had a couple of years these past few years with the Bengals in a 4-3. So he has he has he has knowledge of both defensive sets, and he could probably put up some kind of a hybrid defense. Maybe he can put together some something that'll differentiate himself somewhat from what Kevin Coyle was, did in Miami. He'll make a he'll be able to put something together with the with the defensive backs. I'm hoping that Vance Joseph looks at Rashad Jones and thinks to himself, okay, well, I've got something here. Let's see what I can work with. And then if he decides that he keeps Brent Grimes, which I would do if only because the economics are better, then then maybe he can uh, put something together in that sense. Now, he doesn't have – and he's once he's also inexperienced. That's a kind of a red flag, but that's going to happen no matter what. Again, everybody's got to start somewhere. I would hope that he's learned a lot. I would hope that he's gotten to the point where he knows what to be expecting. He knows – how he's gonna he has some kind of idea of what he's gonna do on defense. I'm hoping that the secondary will as a result of his uh as a result of his expertise will finally get better. Maybe he can develop Walt Aikens a little better, maybe he can turn these young players into people who are um actually viable NFL players. Maybe he maybe he's smart enough to realize Jamar Taylor could fit as a safety. I don't know. Uh, hopefully, um he'll be able to do something, but until I see something happen, I'm going to have to keep some sort of a, I guess you could call it healthy skepticism about the whole thing. He's not, he doesn't have a reputation, so I can't look back on him. All I can do is just look at what systems he's been in and try to make speculations from there. Go to the phones real quick. Um, I think this is Orlando. Call it. Call it Orlando. Reveal yourself. Oh, hey, it's you. What's up? It's me again. Uh, I'm all right. Um, first and foremost, um, I wanted to talk a little bit about Vance Joseph and one of the things he Good might timing. possibly do. And um, the thing is, is that people don't understand that half of, like, a good majority of Cincinnati's mm-hmm. secondary is leaving or expected to hit free agency. Now, people say, okay, okay, what are we going to do if we get rid of Brent Grimes? Well, first off, like you said, Reggie Nelson has performed decent since he went to the Bengals. But imagine pairing him with Rashad Jones, for one. For two, if you get rid of Brent Grimes, and some people are going to hate me for saying this, but sign Adam Jones. For the price of one Brent Grimes, you can get both Adam Jones and Reggie Nelson. Oh, there, all of a sudden, you've got two players that have been in Vance Joseph's system that knows how it works. And that can make up for a lot of the inexperience that people are going to talk about as Vance Joseph is in there. 
Um, sure, Adam Jones is a hot head, but you know what? At the same time, he he really didn't go kung fu crazy on the NFL until, you know, and I'm going to be honest with you, Joey Porter didn't need to be in that where he was. So he I mean, there field. was enough, you know, there was enough blame to go around to where you can just simply say that Adam Jones was standing up for his team, which is exactly what we want. And he's somebody that has worked with Vance Joseph. You know, as far as like why Vance Joseph might have retracted that statement or gone against it is because they hadn't yet made their playoff game. And if players hear that one of their coordinators or one of their position coaches is leaving, how's that going to affect their play on the field? All of a sudden they're thinking, okay, well, this guy's not going to be here next year. What are we going to do? So, of course, he has to sit there and say, well, it's not really, you know, sure about where I'm going. I think it was actually just let out a little too early that Vance Joseph was going to be coming to the Dolphins. So they, of course, did whatever they could with a playoff game, you know, in the works to kind of quell that a little bit. But at the same time, I don't think, you know, you look at Brenton Grimes and think he's our only option. I don't think you look at, you know, whatever, because I've taken a look at the free agency pool, and there's a lot of names on there that could seriously fill in for for Brent Grimes and us be okay. You know? I think that um, in terms of the whole Vance Joseph hiring, and the sort of limbo that that entire situation was in between the the time Adam Gates became the head coach and Vance Joseph uh, four days later takes the job. Is, I think that's probably the one downside to what the Dolphins did this offseason in identifying their guy from everything I've read. They identified Gates before the season ended. They knew who they wanted, pursued him immediately, and made it worth his while. And, and locked them up almost immediately. I mean, they, they acted so fast that it, you, it's hard to believe that there are other teams out there. Uh, I mean, I think the Eagles are one of the last teams, and I think that it's expected that they're going to hire Doug Peterson, who's the offensive coordinator in Kansas City, I believe. Uh, so, I mean, like, he had all these supposed more desirable destinations. Uh, the Giants were... Uh, looked at as a, a prime one, they end up just promoting Ben McAdoo after Hugh Jackson blows him off and takes the Cleveland job. And you can't fault Hugh Jackson for doing that because, I mean, I assume one of his first moves is that he's going to part ways with Johnny Manziel. I would do that too. I'd make him someone else's problem. And you've got the number two overall pick in a draft with a couple of decent QBs. So if you're looking to start from scratch, which you always are when you're the the new coordinator, especially in a, a place like Cleveland. You gotta make you gotta make a count. You gotta find your guy at quarterback. So I mean, I get why he took that. And I mean, how long? How much longer does Eli play in New York? And I mean, who's who's the guy who replaces him? So uh, I I understood that 
that decision on Hugh Jackson's part. Now, the Chip Kelly thing was a little bit, I, I mean, I expected it as much, but it was just a little weird how you had this sort of San Francisco, Hugh Jackson supposed romancing thing and how Hugh Jackson, it was always, you, you saw that he always wanted, wanted to coach with San Francisco. Uh, it was a, pretty much a done deal. Uh, and it turns out that San Francisco makes it sound like Chip Kelly was their guy the entire time. And when he was fired by Philadelphia, that's when San Francisco let go of Jim Tom Sula because they felt comfortable they could get him. Sure, whatever. Uh, I can assure you that the the 49ers uh, head coach gig isn't isn't nearly as attractive with the current reputation that Jed York and Trent Baalke have, especially considering the the last year and a half they've they've had in San Francisco with the whole Jim Harbaugh mess. And then they pass over Vic Fangio. They bring on his defensive line coach and Jim Tomsula, who looked like he should really be, I don't know, ru- running a car wash or a delicatessen or something. Certainly not coaching a, a an NFL team. And so I mean, and then he gets he gets the boot. So I mean, it's been a mess. I know some people criticize the Dolphins for making their decision too quick. I don't think there's. I, there's such thing as too quick in this instance. When you, you're talking about you, you have a lot of talent on your roster, you need to get that head coaching vacancy filled and filled by the right guy. So, I mean, Mike Tannenbaum and company thought thought they identified the right guy and they went forward, and I applaud them for that. There was no Jeff Fisher uh, waiting game this time around. There was no consolation prize type feeling like when the Dolphins hired Dennis Hickey. Although if you look at a lot of a lot of the guys that the Dolphins were interested in, in in 2014 to replace Jeff Ireland, I mean Ray Farmer was one of them. One of them. That guy was an absolute mess for Cleveland. So I mean, it ended up working out the way it probably sh- should have. But I mean, I applaud the Dolphins for acting quickly, swiftly, getting the guy they wanted. I think that um, he's also someone where yeah, he's going to work with Ryan Tannehill. And number one is you got to fix the play calling because the play calling in Miami during the Philbin regime sucked, just flat out sucked. And there are plenty of examples out there. There was a um, great article written by Lewis's friend, Max. I pointed this out on Twitter. Uh, he did this article pointing out um, the difference between Adam Gase's play calling and what the Dolphins are doing with Ryan Tannehill and how Adam Gase's approach uh, to – to route the route tree and what he likes his receivers to do in terms of clearing up space, pick plays, uh, you know, pulling pulling away coverage uh, is something that Ryan Tannehill could really, I mean, that's what he needs. And then you just you look know. at these these bonehead these bonehead route concepts that were going on uh, with like you know Bill Lazor. A lot of times receivers covering up each other on their routes two guys in one spot, there's just there's a lot of confusion, and you're not drawing away defenders. You're bringing them in. So, I mean, it's it's exciting. I think that Angus is the right guy. You know, the, the one thing that I've been most excited about, and I'm going to tell you right now, they, um, they're kind of overstating this whole six-Tannehill situation. That Adam I agree Gase with is that. There to Tannehill. What he's actually going to do is work with Tannehill, and this is what's going to what's going to change up the way that the offense is played. 
because what he did in Denver was he met with Peyton Manning, and that resulted, they got together, they hammered out a playbook, they said, okay, what works good for you? You know, a lot of people will just go to the tape and say, okay, well, he held the ball too long, and all of a sudden, nobody was open. What Adam Gase is going to do is say, okay, how do you feel comfortable? When you were in the shotgun this many times, when do you feel you did your best? When do you feel like you did this? When did you feel like, you know, you were able to make the most out of a play? And that's exactly what he's going to do with Tannehill. He's not just going to be working at him. He's going to be working with him. And that's how we're going to be able to see what we actually have in Tannehill because Tannehill is a smart guy. He knows what worked for him. He knows, you know, okay, well, I could have ran here, but, you know, they said, stand pat, take the sack. You know, automatically what we're going to see is a different production, and it's not just going to be led by Adam Gase. It's also going to be a Tannehill-led offense. You know, yeah, and that's exactly a, one thing what... I pointed out, and I've said, said this a couple of times because um, it's easy to look good when you're with a, an outstanding quarterback. We found that out with Joe Philbin. And some people look at Adam Gates' time in Denver and they think, well, of course, I mean, he looked good as the offensive coordinator out there. You're working with Peyton Manning. The guy can make anyone look good. The, the impressive thing for Adam Gates, though, there's actually there's two things I want to point out here. And I've, I'm repeating myself, but I'm repeating myself on my own show, so I'll do it. Uh, number one is the fact that he goes from a Peyton Manning offense, which is you know, a lot of uh, a lot of um, trying to think the, the proper way to craft this, because it's a level-based offense. So, I mean, simple routes. I mean, there's nothing incredibly complex going on there, but there's a lot of variations. Thank you, that's what I was looking for. A lot of variations on those routes and you have to be on the same page with your, with your quarterback or with your wide receivers to know what variations you want to you want to go ahead and um, and use. I mean, so I mean, you, it takes total trust in your wide receiver, takes great communication between quarterback and receiver, and takes great confidence and ability to grasp an offense. Which I mean, Peyton Manning showed he certainly has that. So. You take, I mean, Adam Gates goes and he becomes the offensive coordinator in Chicago. I am 100% certain that kind of offense used in Denver would not work with Jay Cutler for a few reasons. Number one is the fact that I don't think he has that, that sort of, um, I don't think he has that kind of confidence. I think Jay Cutler does some things very well. I, I love watching him throw the ball just because, I mean, he's got that blaster cannon going on. Uh, and I think he throws a really good deep ball sometimes. But I don't think he has the kind of confidence, or nor does he have the really the vision of the field to scan the field to to work within the kind of offense that Peyton Manning used in Denver. So Adam Gase goes ahead, works with Jay Cutler, simplifies, streamlines some things, simplifies the uh, the scheme and the game plan, makes it work for Jay Cutler, which is even more impressive when you think about the fact that Alshon Jeffrey was not healthy this year. Oftentimes, the best receiver uh, oh, that they were that they had, um, like in that game against Kansas City that they won, was uh, Marquise Wilson. 
it was a guy out of Washington State who was supposed to be a really good receiver. He got into some problems there with uh, the coaching staff. Ended up being a, a like a seventh-round pick or something. So Marquise Wilson looks really good in that offense. The reason for that is uh, Gase and Cutler are able to identify what they want to do with that offense, what works best for Jay. We want to go ahead and, you know, they didn't get away from the running game, even though Matt Forte was hurt. They had a Jeremy Langford in there. He looked really good. They had Kadeem Carey in there. A lot of people don't even know who he is, and he did really well. Martellus Bennett gets hurt, so you lose your number one tight end. What do they do? They go to Zach Miller, and not the Zach Miller who was drafted uh, by Oakland in 2007. Not that guy, and he also played for Seattle, and he was really good for a while there. The other Zach Miller. He looked, I mean, he was a monster some games. A couple of the games the Bears won were because, I mean, no one could stop that guy. So the point is, anyway, Adam Gates made that offense work for Jay Cutler. Lowered Jay Cutler's interception total up until the end of the season. He threw three in his last game. I uh, kind of had a meltdown there. But he, going into that last game, he had eight interceptions, which for Jay Cutler is insane. So, I mean, that is uh, that to me is the mark of a guy who could be a head coach because you made the personnel or you made the scheme work for the personnel. You didn't try to just jam it in there and just hope that it's going to work out, and if not, you know, too bad, you'll go find somebody who does work in there, which is exactly the way the last regime in Miami functioned. And that was the root of so many problems there. Why doesn't it work for Ryan Tannehill? You're not letting him audible. He's not an idiot. From what I can tell, he's actually got the ability to be a very cerebral quarterback. He's a smart guy. He understood, uh, like, for, for progression reason whatnot, you know, coming into the league, that's not something that that you put in front of a lot of college quarterbacks. And they're like, oh, yeah, no problem. I'll go ahead and run this West Coast offense for you. So Ryan Tannehill, as you mentioned, is not an idiot. He's actually a pretty you know, intelligent guy. Uh, the deep ball has improved uh, tenfold, in my opinion. He looks comfortable, I will say that, throwing the ball downfield now. Part of that, I think, is Devontae Parker and People say, well, Devontae Parker could make anyone look look good throwing the ball downfield. That's exactly it. Ryan Tannehill feels confident throwing the ball downfield to that guy because he doesn't have to feel he doesn't feel like he has to put it on a dime for that ball for that catch to be converted. Like with Mike Wallace, he Mike Wallace didn't even fight for the ball half the time. Didn't even look like he was interested in making an effort. That's not going to instill confidence in the quarterback when he has to make throws to that guy downfield. Devontae Parker and his ridiculous catch radius instills that kind of confidence. Lo and behold, even in that last game of the season, Ryan Tannehill just let it rip downfield. You know, Brock now asks questions later, and it looked great. That's what confidence does for a guy, and that's why when people say that Ryan Tannehill has to go, you haven't even seen the best of him. He's played for a lame duck coaching staff. He's had a complete idiot at times, overseeing his development. It is a miracle he's not a pile of rubble. He's not like that rubble uh, out that flaming pile of rubble that Luke Skywalker came home to after the stormtroopers uh, burned down his uh, his Uncle Owen's uh, plantation and all that stuff, where it's just that, that smoldering mess. It's amazing. I mean, Ryan Tannehill still has something to prove, and with Adam Gates, the first thing Adam Gates said about Ryan Tannehill uh, publicly, I want him to feel like I have his back. What a novel concept. 
we have a quarterback in Miami who feels like everyone's out to get him, and I mean, frankly, I don't I don't blame him because in a lot of a lot of ways people have been out to get him. I'm not saying that he's completely there's no culpability on his end because yeah, he does have to do things better, but I don't think he's been asked to do a lot of these things. And now in Adam Gase's system, he's gonna he's gonna put big boy pants on. He's gonna be expected to step up to the line of scrimmage, and, you know, and I, if there's a blitz, identify it. Identify the blitzer. There, he's going to be expected to go ahead and uh, change the protection. Go ahead and slide it over. Identify it. Work with your offensive line. He's got to have confidence in those guys, too. And it would probably help if they didn't get him killed since he's approaching the 200 sack plateau. This is amazing stuff when you think about the fact that Ryan Tannehill has not had the benefit of a lot of things in Miami. The miracle is not in a wheelchair. He's taking a beating. He's a, the fact that he gets up and he just takes more of it completely won me over. And I'm a little bit disappointed that people people crap on him when he's out there just absolutely getting lit up by pass rushers, blitzers. Does he, does he need to do a better job of identifying the blitz? Absolutely. Do I think Adam Gates can work with him and do that? Yes, I do. That's why I think this is the right hire. Now you've got the right personnel on offense. You've got Devontae Parker and Jarvis Landry and Kenny Stills going downfield making plays for this guy. I mean, this is important stuff for a quarterback, and it's ridiculous that Ryan Tannehill had to get to year five to, to enjoy the fruits of some of this stuff. But I do think that you'll see a much better uh, Ryan Tannehill next season. I think that he, he's going to – I mean, Adam Gates is going to coach the hell out of him, no doubt about that. And, I, and now we see either it works or it doesn't. And if it doesn't work, we move on at quarterback. So all these people on Twitter who freak out about the fact that Ryan Tannehill needs to go, just hold your horses on that one. See this one through. If it works out this season, if you see that marked improvement, like I think we will, maybe go ahead and ease off on the the grief Tannehill throttle that everyone uh, everyone reaches for at the drop of a hat on social media. If it doesn't work out, you'll probably have a a prime draft pick in what should be a pretty good draft or quarterback draft class in 2017. So look at it that way. But in the time being, enjoy the fact that you've got a guy um, who I think will be an excellent head coach. You make the personnel work with the scheme and vice versa. I think you're talking about a guy who knows how to make it work and can make it work in Miami. And it's a tough place to coach now. It's going to take literally nothing. If this team comes out and loses the first two games of the 2016 season, I mean, fans will want them gone. Because, I mean, it's the immediate gratification society we live in, I guess. I don't know. I'm kind of ranting. But I think that this guy is worth the the investment. I'm talking about Gase, and I guess I'm also talking about Tannehill. And they need to keep Lamar Miller, in my opinion. Which actually brings me to my next question. Um, Gase supposedly a big fan of Lamar Miller. Do you think he stays? Yes. What about you, Lewis? Well, me personally, uh, I guess it's really a matter of I don't I don't know if Lamar Miller really wants to just really wants to get paid, or if he really just wants to play. Because either way, I would imagine that he kind of wants a bit of both. I mean, if if Adam Gase can promise him, okay, we're going to get you the ball one way or another. I don't think he necessarily even wants carries. 
he just wants to play. He wants to get the ball in his hand. He doesn't want to uh, get benched when he has no reason to. He doesn't want to have the ball suddenly stolen from him when, again, there's no reason for him to not have the football. When he has, when he, everybody knows, including, I'm sure, the coaches, that Lamar Miller is probably one of the best weapons that the Dolphins have on offense. And he knows it, we all know it, and yet for some reason he never got his hands on the football. That, I am sure, really made him upset and it made him want another opportunity elsewhere. If Gase can convince Miller, hey, we may not get you the ball all the time, but I was in Chicago, we worked with Matt Forte a lot, and we use him a lot as a receiver, not necessarily as a running back. We think we can do the same with you. Then if that's the case, then at a decent price, like if he if we if they can agree on a price, I have no doubt that Lamar Miller would come back because it's like I don't think it necessarily carries. He wants just give him the ball, find a way to get the ball in his hand, utilize him. He's not there to just act as an extra blocker and an ineffective one at that. He he's there to act as a weapon, which is what he's the best at. He's explosive. He can make big plays, but you have to get the ball in his hands first, and he knows that. And I think Gase knows that too. Hey, great. Well said. Uh, we'll go ahead and turn the conversation a little bit. We lost Duke for the time being. If he had to step away, hopefully he comes back. Um, so Mel Kuyper puts out his first mock draft of the year. A lot of people on, online calling it the LOL Mac or the mock draft, the LOL mock, which, I mean, it's he usually trolls the Dolphins, I feel like. I don't think he likes the team very much. Uh, I think there was that one draft season where he gave the, the Dolphins a Mark Ingram literally every every mock. I think he did like five of them in a row where he just gave a Mark Ingram, didn't even bother. And then I think the only thing he said was, Mark Ingram to Miami. Runs with good pad level. Awesome. And I was just thinking like, well, thanks for putting in the time. So he comes out with his first mock. And I want to point out that uh, Nick Shea, his, um, I guess you'd say his, uh, his counterpart on ESPN's uh, guru section, uh, last month put out his, and he had the Dolphins at number eight because that's where the pick they had at the time. Gave him Ronnie Stanley, the uh, the offensive tackle out of Notre Dame. Uh, he's one of my top three guys in this draft. I'm cool with that. No, uh, Kaper kind of takes a different route. And at number eight overall, he gives them Shaq Lawson, the pass rusher out of Clemson. I mean, if you saw the uh, national championship game the other night, the only notable thing on Clemson's defense, uh, McKenna, you know, Mackenzie Alexander gets injured, and then the, uh, the back seven just completely implode. But that Clemson pass rush that night between Shaq Lawson and Kevin Dodd was awesome. Kevin Dodd also in this in uh, Kuiper's mock now, not surprisingly. Uh, so I'll ask you guys, we'll start with the first question, and then we'll go ahead and um, go with the, the logical follow-up. And I want to point out there's a couple of notable names on the board when the Shaq Lawson pick was made. No, no, most notable was Vernon Hargraves out of Florida, who's expected to be the, the best cover corner in this draft. So what did you get? If, suppose this happened. Suppose the Dolphins did take Shaq Lawson. What are you thinking? Uh, if, you, if you'd rather have another player, who would you take? Um. Well, I mean, I could see Shaq Lawson. Um, I still want my boy, even though he's probably not going to be ready. 
because you just don't pass up on a talent like that when you have the opportunity. I do suggest that we make up for it by trading back a little bit, but I could... I I don't know. Um, you got to fix what's broken, and I I just don't see Shaq Lawson doing that, and because I'm not really sure how he does against the run, and I think that's gonna be a key step because I'm not as worried about the secondary as I am uh, the defense against the run. So I'm still thinking linebacker. We just might have to sign a temporary free agent until he's ready to play. You're talking about Jalen Smith. Yeah. The one thing I want to point out about Shaq Lawson is um, if you want to turn him a pass rusher, defensive end, uh, pure penetrator is, a, is a, a term that you can attach with, to Shaq Lawson. Led the country in tackles for loss this year. He was an absolute just whirling dervish, just a machine getting into the backfield. So that's important to note because, I mean, that's been at times a problem for the Dolphins. So, okay, um, I have a feeling what Lewis is going to say. I'll roll with it anyway. Lewis, who would you take at number eight? Miles Jack. Miles Jack. Jeez. I want a linebacker <laughs> who I don't have to worry about somebody just doing something stupid. I don't want to deal with Kelvin Shepard being slow all over the place. I want somebody who can man the middle, fill up the gaps that are created by Indominus Sue, somebody who we can not somebody who can cover tight ends, cover running backs, whatever we need fix the linebacking core. That's like there's a reason it's called a core. It's like the core of the defense. You can you can make that uh that you can change the words a little bit. Instead of C O R P S, we should call it C O R E, the core. Linebackers are so important to the Dolphins defense and it's, they have been for a very long time. And I mean all I can say is that we I just want a top tier linebacker. I don't care which one we get, whether whether it's Reggie Ragland, whether it's Miles Jack, Jalen Smith when he gets back from injury, I don't care. But somebody who I can look at and say, Yeah, our linebacking core is in good hands now. The interesting thing about that Piper Mock is he had Reggie Ragland going number eleven to the Chicago Bears. Which is something and that's the main argument I've seen against Reggie Ragland is that he doesn't have the skill set to warrant going that high. I would I disagree. I don't think he'll run fast in Indy. I've, I've seen a lot of people on Twitter uh, also uh, share that same suspicion that he's probably a 4-8 guy, maybe at best. But if you watch that national championship game, not only is he the leader of Alabama's defense, that guy is an absolute sledgehammer against the run. Because there were times where Clemson was able to on, on second and third efforts, nice through that ridiculous Alabama front, and those linebackers were, were there ready to clean it up. It was ridiculous. Those guys worked in concert so well that, I mean, I wasn't surprised to see them uh, pull away in that game. I mean, the way they did it was a little strange considering how they didn't use O.J. Howard the entire year pretty much. 
as a pass catcher, I mean. So uh, Reggie Ragland totally won me over there. I think he's a leader in the middle. Um, despite the, the speed thing, it looks like he has range. I saw him. I mean, he, he looks good in pursuit, and he plays downfield which is, I mean, uh, great. I mean, that guy just, I mean, he's a downfield linebacker where, I mean, like he just, he's coming for that, that ball carrier, which is not really something you could say about Kelvin Shepard. Kelvin Shepard strikes me as a guy who's real reactive, you know, when he's not bouncing off guys. And uh, Zach, one of my good friends on Twitter, uh, we, we bounce a lot of ideas off each other in terms of draft stuff. He pointed out that Rattling's not necessarily a thumper, but I mean, the NFL really doesn't isn't looking for those guys anyway anymore. I mean, these these linebackers who used to be like these these power hitter types, Vontez, Perfect, uh, probably a decent example of that. So uh, Reggie Ragland's a guy. He's probably a top three for me. I like Ronnie Stanley. I like Ragland, and I like Vernon Hargraves. And I was surprised to see that that Kuiper gave. Uh, the, the Dolphins, Shaq Lawson, and he and the next pick to Tampa at number nine, he gave them Vernon Hargraves, or VH3, as people call him. So, I mean, there's so many ways it can go, but that that back seven of Miami's defense, and perhaps pass rusher two, depending on what happens with Olivier Vernon, I mean, that needs to be addressed. So there's plenty of spots there, and, I mean, you can't call a offensive tackle a luxury pick just because, I mean, the, the Dolphins line is still a huge work in progress. Several spots need to be addressed. You know, Pouncey staying healthy. What happens? I mean, I still think Billy Turner can be a really good player. I love Jawan James on the right side. Uh, you know, health has been a bit of an issue for that guy, but still a big fan of Jawan James. Love Brandon Albert. I just worry about his health. And when he goes down at left tackle, it turns into the tackle offensive line carousel that just completely works against the team typically results in Ryan Tannehill getting getting blown away by offensive pass rushes. So, but this defense, we were talking about Ryan Tannehill, and he doesn't need to be fixed. He needs to be, his development needs to be maintained the right way, needs to be put on the right track. My The Dolphins linebacker core and a lot of its secondary needs to be fixed. The linebacker core especially. I like Jelani Jenkins. I think that uh, I like him as a weak side guy. I like the way he flows with the ball. I think he he brings a lot of great skills to the table at that position. But we need a sledgehammer in terms of a guy who plays downfield, plays you know leads that that linebacker core as Lewis just mentioned. And I think that's a great point is a linebacker core. And I think that Raglan can be that guy. So I mean that wouldn't be. I, I know some people have an issue with that at number eight. Uh, I Luke Keekley went. Number nine overall, I realize that Luke Keekley ran a lot faster in Indy than Raglan probably will. I think Keekley was like a high 4-5, low 4-6 guy somewhere around there. But, I mean, great gifts, a decent vertical leap and whatnot. But I'm not basing my draft pick on how high my linebacker can jump. There's more to it than that. So that's what I'm thinking. But there's there's some, some goodies uh, in that in that area, in the draft, for the Dolphins to consider. And I know that people are bummed. I'm bummed about the fact they're not going to have a crack at Jalen Ramsey. He's a guy I really want. And I I don't see any way 
where Jalen Ramsey makes it through the gauntlet that starts with the Dallas Cowboys and ends, well, well, it could end with San Francisco now with Chip there. And I don't know if you guys saw it today, but the 49ers took all their Colin Kaepernick stuff off of clearance. It's full price now. So for you people looking for a number seven jersey, you're going to have to pay full price for it now. I hate to disappoint you. But, I mean, that they're a player now too. You know, because, I mean, they got Eric Reed back there playing safety, but that's a team that just has issues everywhere. You know, maybe they take a pass rusher. Maybe they take a linebacker. Maybe they take Reggie Ragland, you know, at number seven. And this is a moot argument. But um, we're getting into that season where mock drafts are, are starting to, to spread like wildfire. It's always fun to see uh, other takes on what your team could do. It helps that the people actually know the team instead of just looking at a list of needs and saying, huh, plug that in right there. Because I find that ESPN typically more often than not does that. So I like the the specialized mock drafts. And, you know, the NFL.com ones are okay sometimes too, even though I feel like they troll Dolphins fans once in a while. So um, I should probably point out that we've got about half hour left. You guys want to go ahead and give us a call? I've had some calls come in, but we are phone system is down for a little bit. 347-326-9461. You can call us and talk about talk about the, the Dolphins' current state. You love the Adam Gase hire. You hate it. You like Vance Joseph. You hate that hire. Uh, our um, tight end coach kind of looks like a guy who goes to Comic-Con but uh, I'm, I'm told that he could actually end up being a, a sleeper. I thought I, uh, Lewis's friend and a guy who actually writes for SB Nation too, uh, Matthew Kanata, was saying that uh, Miami's tight or tight ends coach could actually impress, which is pretty cool. Because, I mean, that guy, it's easy to sit there and make jokes about the way he looks, especially if you've seen him. He's a little nerdy looking, I'm not going to lie. But if he comes in there and uh, is able to, really put it together with the tight end personnel. I don't care what he looks like. Doesn't matter to me. So um trying to what do you think else. what do you think about our former head coach going to the New Orleans Saints? Oh Dan Campbell? Mm-hmm. Um all right. I have a uh, an opinion that regarding the Dan Campbell situation that is not really popular with a lot of people. You saw a lot of people wanted him maintained on the coaching staff. I can assure you that as soon as Adam Gates was hired, I knew that Dan Campbell was going to leave because no head coach is going to come in and keep a guy from the previous regime who has that much influence with the players. I don't think that I, the vast majority of coaches in sports, mind you, would would choose to do away. That's why I mean, that's why guys come in and they they bring in their own staff. But part of it is I don't think you want that influence. I think you want to start fresh. You want a whole new approach, and you don't want anyone undermining you. And Dan Campbell might have had a, that kind of influence on guys to the point where they think like, well, I've got Adam Gates telling me one, I've got Coach Gates telling me one thing, I've got Coach Campbell telling me another, and I'm not saying that Dan Campbell would undermine him, but suppose their philosophies clashed on something. I mean, then I mean you've got a problem. 
So that's why, in my opinion, that's why it didn't happen. And I knew as soon as Gates, Gates was hired that, I mean, Campbell wasn't coming back. So, and I mean, the reports are that Campbell didn't take it well. And I feel bad about that because, I mean, the guy coached his heart out, got put into a tough situation this year, and made tried to make the most of it. And I totally applaud for that. I thought that was awesome. But I didn't want him to be the next coach of the team. I didn't think he was ready. I didn't think he was anywhere near ready. So, um, I mean, it, it is what it is. But, yeah, now Dan Campbell's in New Orleans. He's an assistant head coach, right? Is that the title he gets with them? Assistant head coach and tight ends coach. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, cool. It looks good and everything. But, I mean, it's a it's a new regime in Miami. And I don't think you really want any semblance of the old regime. Uh, I understand that the the one difference though is Darren Rizzi, because I mean that's the, the that's the counter to my argument right there. Is well, I mean Darren Rizzi, I mean is still the special teams coach. A uh, little bit different in that not handling the offense, you're handling the special teams. So while you'll have players from offense and defense on special teams, I think it's a little bit different in terms of how uh, you're able to place your influence. Uh, in regard to the head coach. So I, I think it's apples and oranges comparing Dan Campbell's day with Darren Rizzi. So that's just what I'm thinking. So um, unless you guys have any other uh, comments or anything, um, I can't tell if our phones are down. They keep going up and down. Kind of frustrating. We can probably tie this up a, a little bit a little bit early. We're able to knife through a bunch of details. We even got to some draft talk, which... Um, isn't always the most popular thing, but it's going to be a big draft for the Dolphins. I think that they can go ahead and really get a jump on some areas that will, in turn, uh, jumpstart this defense. I mean, you got Indomitian Sue up front. I think Jordan Phillips is going to end up being a really good player. You got Rashad Jones on the back end. I mean, despite the fact he gets no respect from Pro Bowl voters, the guy's outstanding. You know, you have people out there who think he's the best strong safety in the league. You know, get that guy some support. Get him a linebacker core in front of him. Get him down to a, a linebacker core that can clean up uh, after the the defensive line and help keep things tight. These are all things that you can do in this draft. And, I mean, this is if you're looking for defensive players, this is a good draft. Uh, it's not the, the well, wide receiver superstar show it was the last year um he's certainly better quarterback uh quarterbacks available than the past couple of years i mean the the car bridgewater draft uh notwithstanding and bortles i mean those guys could end up pretty decent i think like bortles really took some steps forward this year today bridgewater playoff quarterback Derek carr looks good in um in oakland is there something you want to say chris yeah, um, I was going to ask. Um, we've talked about the draft. We've talked about, you know, um, what we think is going to happen and which one of our free agents are going to leave or walk or, you know, which ones we want to leave. But we haven't really focused on free agency as far as, like, if there's one player – out in free agency right now that you could have, that you could go after, that you really want to go after hard, which one would it be? Our own free agents notwithstanding. Not not include 
they're not even in the list. They're they're just oh. from another team. You know, because some changes um, are going to have to be made. Oh, for sure. Uh, yeah, that's a tough one. In terms of what what I want to see on the free agent market, um, it's not quite. I don't want to look at either. Not e- not even just like saying, okay, well, I want to look to offensive guard for free agency. I mean, it could be an offensive guard, but just one name that just sticks out. Hmm. Like, I really want this guy on our team. It's too early. It's tough. It's too early. So wrapped up because we don't even know who's on the free agent market yet, really, because teams haven't even started making their cuts yet. I think we can just like say, the, we can try to treat it as a sort of fantasy thing, where you just think like, who's the guy you would want to bring in? You know, right? Um, like, like the ultimate hypothetical. Um, no, if, we're, if we're just doing fantasy, then I want Darrell Rivas. Okay, you're you're within your your uh, your boundaries to go ahead and and do something like that. Um, well, yeah. fantasy, right? Because I need I would need to know who's eventually going to be on the market before I can make any sort of legitimate um, free agent wish list. Sure, sure, that's fine. Um, if we're talking about the offensive line, I like Kalichi Osemele from Baltimore. I think uh, I like him as a guard. Um, I remember watching a ton of his tape uh, when he he entered the draft and he came out of uh, Iowa State. I was a big fan of his. Duke and I watched a lot of Colegio Sinley tape that off season. So I mean, I like him. If if that if presented with that opportunity, uh, count me in for sure. Uh, in terms of let's think about defense for a second. Trying, I'm just trying to go through my memory and just thinking about names that I, I've seen where I'm like, yeah, that could be a guy. Um, <clears throat> boy, that's tough. But it's, I'll do the fantasy route too. Um, yeah. I, I I don't know I, I I couldn't even I couldn't even say that with a straight face I'd feel ridiculous. Um, I don't know I mean honestly I can see us going after one of Cincinnati's guys I I mean no offense I I don't want Pac-Man Jones that terrifies me even though he's an outstanding you know he's got the ability to be a great player he's just such an idiot and I mean like just doesn't behave himself. And regardless of the fact that uh, Joey Porter shouldn't have been on the field at that point, dude, you're in a playoff game. With the game on the line, keep yourself in check. Behave. What are you thinking? I can see us going after Leon Hall. And if we're living in fantasy land, I'd love to bring in Courtney Upshaw. Especially for if we're if we're working the uh, any sort of hybrid game, which I've seen preliminary reports suggest that Vance Joseph might might put a little bit of that in there. But, I mean, you've got some free agents out there who, I mean, just strike me as 
uh, Nick Perry looked pretty good for Green Bay last Sunday. I, I wonder what happens with him. Um, I don't know, but it's tough. For me, and people are going to think this is 2.0 of what we already have, but it all depends on what we do with Albert. I do like the idea of looking at Oakland for from uh, even though he hasn't really been the specimen of health that you know we would want. Uh, it's for me. He's 26 years old. That can change and. There's a big difference between playing on turf and playing on grass. So, and Oakland's a guy. For I'm sorry, me. I, I didn't. I didn't catch the name there. Did you say who it is? Yeah, Russell Oakland. Oh, okay. I, I didn't catch the left name tackle there, for but... for yeah, left tackle for the Seahawks. And basically, because oh, of Russell, his age. Russell Yeah. I thought you were talking. I thought you said Oakland, and I was like. I thought Oakland's left tackle is Donald Penn, who's like the biggest, one of the biggest left tackles I've ever seen. And I mean, one of the few undrafted left, left tackles in the league, too. Yeah, Russell Okun, uh, sign me up. I mean, that's fine. I know he hasn't had a very good year, but I mean, I, I was a big fan of his when he came out of, I think he played at Oklahoma State, and when he came out in 2010, I thought he was real good. So, yeah, not a lot you have to do to 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 um entice me with with some of these guys um but it's weird now I'm trying to think about other uh tackles available um that one's easy uh you Donald Penn is actually available um and you have Jeff Adams uh, Chris Clark, Wiley Reef, Tyler Columbus, Ryan Harris, Charles Brown, Mitchell Schwartz from Cleveland. We can have Eric Winston back. Um, no, I'll pass on that. Cody Glenn. Uh, uh, yeah. So, you can do much worse. So, I mean, it's kind of interesting to see where this uh, this draft goes. Donald Penn is actually people. available. Jamarcus Webb. Kelvin no Beecham. Uh, Joseph Barksdale. Alvin Bailey uh-huh. and Russell Oakland are both free agents. Byron Bell. It's about the hot names on the list. There's a lot of talent out there. Right? I wouldn't mind Riley Reef. Riley Reef had some issues too, but um, I, I'd be willing to to broach that discussion and see and see where it went or see where it goes. I should say. Um, Joseph Barksdale kind of intrigues me too. Although San Diego's offensive line was so bad this year, I mean they got like King Dunlap at left tackle. Uh, I think that DJ Fluker is their right tackle. I liked him when he came out of Alabama, but even that guy's just so enormous. So, yeah, stuff to stuff to be mindful of going forward. 
just looking at some of these guys, some of them I'm, I'm, I'm interested in taking a look at, and others I'm just like, nah, I don't know about that. But, yeah. All right. Well, we've reached that point in the show where it is time to go ahead and step away, and we'll be back next week. Uh, a couple of things that I have in the works. Uh, I finally wrote a um, a theme, an intro theme for this show. So I just need to go ahead and uh, I, I was at first I was going to get a record it live, but I think I'm just going to go through a, like a, some sort of like four track processor and I'm just going to record it. So I'm sorry, you get fake drums with that theme. I hope that doesn't bother you too much. You get drum machines, so deal with it. But it should be okay. And then uh, I'm going to come up with uh, an intro. Uh, sort of uh, like something you hear on an actual radio show where they've got the stuff, like, I mean, they'll have the theme playing in the background and they'll have an intro because, I mean, Ryan Tannehill representing us with the PH is cool, but I'd like to maybe uh, do my own thing now and put something else in there. That was always Kevin's thing anyway. Kevin rep- is represented by Tannehill. Kevin is a PH. <laughs> That's my that's my goal now. So that's what I'm looking at. So we'll get to work on that. Uh, I think that Lewis and I are going to go watch some tape with uh, whenever Duke comes back, and we're going to go we're going to go have a tape viewing party. What do you do? So uh, for everyone here, oh yeah, I can make fun of it. You can't. So for everyone here, uh, thanks for joining us, and uh, we'll go ahead. We'll be back. I think we're going to do our usual time the next Wednesday. I apologize for the the rare Thursday night appearance, but thanks for tuning in and for my good friends Chris, Dalton fan for life, uh, Lewis, and Duke who uh, had to jet early. Good night and uh, enjoy the games this weekend. Later. Good night. It's time to answer the call, little buddy. I'm talking about big beef. Dislocate your jaw kind of wide. This, that, charbroiled unicorn boy. Bacon, big pig, slab, cut thick, sizzling for shizzling. On velvet sheet of ooey-gooey. Ooh-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-wee! A wild, wild western bacon cheeseburger. Carl Jr. I'm calling your name. Hello, you're listening to Simone de Rochefort, one of the hosts of The Polygon Show. It's a show all about the video games that you'll never have time to play, brought to you by four friends who are just as passionate about food, soft drinks, and TV shows as we are about video games. Every Friday, we bring you a new hour of personal stories, like how we found the best way to play Yakuza 0, Or even what happens when you play so much Zelda that you hurt your hands and can't play games anymore. Above all, we just have a really good time talking about the games that we love. Check out the show on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcatcher. You can also find us at Polygon Show on Twitter and send a tweet to say hi. Thanks for listening.